Hi there, happy money people. This is Mary and we are back talking money, equity, equality and sports. We are continuing to talk these curated deep dive conversations into the world of sports and where the industry is failing its athletes. And of course, what the future looks like from here. Today, our fellow host Nolan sits down with Zachary, the founder of Student Player, and Abby, a professional basketballer, to talk university athletics, resources, realities, and of course, the new game-changing NIL, that's name, image, and likeness. Don't worry, we'll get into it in the episode. This has caused ripple effects in other states and policy across the country. And as Zach and Abby will dive into it, the ramifications of university athletics and the new NIL are only getting started. Let's go listen in with Nolan. He'll lead us through the conversation with Zach and Abby. Hi, I'm Mary. I'm Nolan. I'm Lakita Ann. We are your hosts, and this is Your World, Your Money. We will be talking real money with real people in a real way. Because everyone deserves the opportunity and tools for freedom, financial or otherwise. Your World, Your Money is brought to you by Hangar Studios, a New York City-based recording studio, and Global Thinking Foundation, a global nonprofit working toward financial freedom and equality for all. Welcome to you both. We are so excited to have you today. I think this is going to be a great conversation. You both bring such an interesting perspective and experience to the world of collegiate sports. So I'm just so excited to chat with you. Abby, let's start with you. Tell us about yourself, your journey with basketball. You have this amazing career at Northwestern. You play professionally overseas. How cool is that? Tell us about your story. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. I've been playing basketball my whole life. I feel like it's a vehicle for opportunity in all of my life experiences. This is Abby Wolf. Abby is a professional basketball player overseas who graduated from Northwestern University. She has competed in Spain's highest division with Club Deportivo Zamarat won a Big Ten regular season championship, and earned an all-Big Ten honorable mention. Abby has also founded Wildworks Basketball with the mission of empowering the next generation of female hoopers, using skill growth and leadership growth to build confidence on and off the courts. So I grew up in the New York area, and I would say in high school and middle school, it's really like, All I did, my whole identity was being a basketball player, got me into college. I was obsessed. Like when I got in to Northwestern or when I committed to Northwestern and I knew that was my goal or where I was going, I only had like a countdown app on my phone. So I would say I I was obsessed. And then I got to college and realized, oh, this is a business. took me a while to realize that. But I love Northwestern and all the friends I made there. I call them my sisters. Uh, the 14 girls that I won the Big Ten regular season title with in 2020. And so after that incredible experience, I was a journalism major in college. So it's pretty cool to be on the other side of the microphone. And um, 
went to South Africa for my journalism residency, which is like incredible considering I was playing power five basketball. My coach let me go to South Africa for 10 weeks. So I feel like I got the most of my college experience. And then uh, senior year came and I didn't know what was going to happen. I started going to consulting info sessions and trying to figure out plan B because I always wanted to be a professional basketball player. Like I said, I was obsessed since middle school, uh, but I didn't know if that was going to happen. I hadn't started. This year was going to be my first year starting senior year. So I had a good year, and I agents started messaging me in the middle of the season. I stopped going to those info sessions <laughs> to be a consultant. <laughs> and um, so the first year overseas went well. I think we're going to get more into it later. Um, I realized the stark differences of a Power 5 resources in school versus a club in Spain. And... Yeah, now I feel like I'm on my own, kind of figuring life out still, um, how much I want to be a basketball player, how much I want to be an entrepreneur. I started Wildworks Basketball this summer, which is, um, I held camps around the country, really, in Mexico. And so, yeah, I'm headed to Barcelona in at the end of August. I just found out this morning. Uh, practice starts earlier than I thought it did. And should be exciting year ahead of me in Barcelona and um, overseas and to come who knows how long that's incredibly cool and yeah and <laughs> really excited to delve into your experience playing overseas um because that's i think a window that a lot of americans at least don't have too much insight into mm-hmm. so zach let's hear from you tell us more about yourself and the story of how you started studentplayer.com thanks nolan i was born in new york but really grew up in montreal from 7 till college and decided to go to brown university This is Zachary Siegel. He founded studentplayer.com, a centralized crowdfunding platform where fans can contribute towards sponsoring NCAA student-athletes. He'll tell you all about it, but to get us started, studentplayer.com gives student-athletes the ability to focus on their education and the sport that they love, while democratizing the recruitment process by empowering fans and alumni in the formation and development of college sports teams. Let's go hear more from Zach and Nolan. So when I got there, I picked up a sport that I enjoyed during high school, which was Ultimate Frisbee. It was lots of fun, but as you and your listeners probably know, it's a club sport, not a varsity sport. So as someone coming from Canada or growing up in Canada, I was less familiar with the NCAA and all the rules and regulations that they had, but immediately found it interesting and and unsettling that my rights as a club sport player were different than the rights of students who were student athletes of a varsity sport. And it didn't really make sense to me, given the mantra that students are student athletes are students first. So this was something that that was on my mind from arriving at college and noticing the discrepancy, but the rules were the rules. And while there were some initiatives to change them and lawsuits and protests, et cetera, it seemed like things were just going to stay the way they are. And so it was a situation that I tracked after college when I went to NYU for law school and business school. But again, the status quo remained the same until about a year and a half ago, when California passed the Fair Pay to Play Act. And that really got me thinking, you know, okay, things are changing 
it's not just theoretical at this point or a discussion point. It's really happening. And if California has passed a law, there's no way that the rest of the country won't follow because it would essentially lead to two leagues. You know, there'd be the California League and the rest of the country if California was the only state allowing student athletes to be treated like other students, essentially. And so that's what got me thinking about how is this all going to work? What's going to happen? How can student athletes benefit from this? How can fans get involved? And student player was was what came out of it. You know, it's a centralized crowdfunding platform that allows fans, alumni, businesses in the region of a school to contribute money that will be held in escrow and ultimately offered to student athletes in the form of an endorsement deal. And I think we could get into it later, but that seemed like the best system to me for everyone to get involved within the legal framework that has emerged and seemed as though it would emerge back when California passed their law. Right. And I am so excited to chat with you more about that because it it seems like this is a space that's changing quickly from my perspective. And I'm really curious, like what have your major learnings been so far since starting Student Player? It's interesting, you know, things happen slower than you expect and also faster than you expect. I sort of imagined once California passed their law that the federal government would almost instantly pass something just to unify the playing field so that each state could have a fair opportunity at recruiting an athlete. That did not happen, but ultimately a Supreme Court decision on an unrelated issue combined with effective dates of various states being July 1st, 2021, sort of tipped the NCAA's hand and ultimately, you know, and and this all happened, this is the faster part, within a week of the deadline, the, the NCAA just said, okay, we're into everybody can benefit from their name, image, and likeness across the board. So so the, the fact that things happen slower than you expect and faster than you expect are, are two of the big lessons that I've picked up so far. Interesting. Yeah. It's that old phrase, nothing happens until it all happens at once, yes. right? So Abby, back to you. I would love to hear more about your experience playing overseas, what that has been like, what your experience has been, what, what's been the most shocking thing for you uh, throughout your time. Most shocking. I better not expose my club. But <laughs> um, I I just love the cultural experience. Um, I was in Zamora, Spain last year, which a lot of people don't know, except for Samana Santa. When these people dress up, they look like ghosts for Easter. Um, that's like the city where that happens. So it's a two and a half hours from Madrid. And um, from the pictures, I was actually expecting it to be smaller than it really was. But I just, no one spoke English there. If you went to the grocery store, I needed to know, you know, the basic things, which is beneficial for me to try to improve my Spanish. Probably the most surprising was the way the community supported me and my other foreign teammates. I'd say community because I had a Spanish family and they're really just fans of the club. And so I would hang out with these two kids, Martina and Leo, and they would like cook these incredible Spanish stews for me once or twice a week, really whenever I could come over there and had the outlet apart from basketball, because coming from college where I was used to having like three or four 
courses a quarter, constantly scheduled, constantly supported. Um, when I got to the pros, it was like, all right, practice is over. Do whatever you want for the next uh, 16 hours. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I had this family behind me and um, like my teammate really uh, started that, like the Spanish family thing. She was returning. So I would say like as an overseas player, you can really come on into it with so many different mindsets. You know, some of my teammates were there so they could make their money and go home to their other relationship or gig. Um, they were there for the bag, as you say, mm-hmm. there for the money. I was there for the experience, um, there to get a first taste of professional basketball and um, really made the most of it. Interesting. Well, I think that's a great transition into what I want to ask you next, which is let's address kind of the elephant in the room that for many female athletes, the real struggle in professional sports is earning enough money to survive and to live the kind of life where you can thrive. So I'd love to hear from you and your experience and your perspective in your sport, other sports, what does it actually look like and how does this affect the career decisions for female athletes? Well, I like the word you use thrive, not survive I think like there's the honeymoon phase oh I'm overseas this is so nice and then like this summer I was just like a nomad okay no community it's I'm just training by myself for my next contract which is going to start in September and um, that's not a life anyone wants to live certainly not like a female community-based per team-based person. Um, And it's not always like that overseas, but very often you have one-year contracts. And um, so it's very hard. I guess the the height of women's basketball is WNBA, of course. Um, However, there are only 144 spots in the WNBA, and that's 12 teams, max 12 players. And they renegotiated their salaries um, $58,000 minimum salary. And then like the best players, like the Elena Deladons and Sue Birds, they're making about 221000 But that's, so the best, I don't know what other industry, the best 144 players in the world are making that kind of money. It's not a bad salary. And I looked up the men's, you know, like the base NBA salary is 925000 so you're telling me a whole team of 12 of the best women should make about what the one of one of the scrubs not they're not scrubs if you're made in the NBA you're pretty good but if you're like a bench NBA player you're making about the same as a whole team in the WNBA and it makes that reality you know you don't this is the first time I really looked up the numbers because it's not like I'm playing for the money however as a female athlete you have to think about other things it's very stupid to have a oh, I'm just going to be a baller. Oh, I'm just going to make it to the WNBA. Because even making the WNBA doesn't necessarily have the same monetary benefits as making the NBA or NFL or MLB would be. So you kind of need a plan B. You kind of need an alternate identity that you um, foster outside of practice and things to promote yourself and have you know a be- full lifespan that's not dependent on your goal of making the WNBA. Right. And I'm excited to talk to you about this organization that you founded this summer and hear more about that. But for a second, I want to hold on the college experience side of things. So when looking at the scope of, you know, financial decisions, financial opportunities in the future for athletes, how do you think this affects college athletes and the way they go about it? And during their time in college, how does the lack of income or time, how does this affect 
kind of the college experience, both the athletic experience, the academic experience, life experience. What are your thoughts on that? I felt fully supported as a Northwestern student athlete. I probably would not make, other than coaching, which I'm doing now and now people can do, which is great. Like Zach said before, the fact that a club player could coach and I couldn't without doing a bunch of paperwork and not going on Northwestern facilities, which is absurd. My most marketable skill and most other student athletes, we have specialized knowledge from nearly 20 years of playing our sport. I mean, probably more like 15 when you're in college. So that I think the changing landscape is good. However, like I had absolutely everything I needed at Northwestern and I really miss it. I'm actually visiting my college campus now and I'm meeting, you know, with my friends and administrators and like, wow, you know, our athletic director always told us to have gratitude, but I have a lot more gratitude and appreciation for the support system of a power five school. Now that I'm a pro and there's no administrator, no NCAA looking over my contract and making sure it's equitable and it's fair. Like, it's pretty common for girls to just get cut and forced out after two, like a month if they're not producing the same stats. Like that does not happen at, at Northwestern. Everyone one through 15 on my team is treated the same. Yes, maybe the star is going to more media appearances. However, there were many measures put forth to make sure that like I had everything I needed. So my rent was fully paid for. And if I really saved it, I could have even pocketed more money. So, you know, Northwestern is the best of the best. I'm never probably going to fly a charter flight my life again. I'm probably never going to have a um, nutritionist and a sports psychologist at my disposal again. So I have no complaints about my college experience, but it's exciting for the players who can now profit off of their name and likeness. Sure. Yeah. So Zach, what I'm sure throughout your process of starting this company, you've talked to a lot of college athletes. I'm curious what your perspective has been on how they see their, you know, their financial situations in school and how they think through making financial decisions. Well, I think that, you know, every student athlete and certainly the ones that I've spoke to think about those decisions the way every student thinks about them. You know, I, I was not an NCAA regulated athlete, but I had to decide, you know, do I want to pursue a professional ultimate Frisbee career, the answer was a very quick no for a variety of reasons, including my skill level. But I think that the issue confronting NCAA athletes previously was why are we being treated differently than everyone else? So that was the part that those are the comments that, that really stick with me and that I hear a lot of, which is Yes, we are thinking about our future the way every other college student is thinking about our future. The difference is that every other college student has the ability to take various steps now that we do not. And one example which Abby brought up is coaching. You know, if if a student athlete wants to be a professional coach later on, it might help to do some coaching while they're in school. But there's a bunch of hurdles and paperwork that they would have had to jump over to take on a job in that manner. So that that's just one example of a restriction being imposed on a student athlete, even one who says, I am unlikely to be a professional, who just wants to pursue their options, you know, but doesn't have the same ability as, say, a chemist who says, I want to go get an internship at a chemical company or 
you know, I, I could go on, but every other profession allows the colleges allow their students pursuing those to take a job in that field, earn income, or if they're famous, you know, to, to monetize their name, image, and likeness through an endorsement, sponsorship, appearance, any other manner. But, but that wasn't the case until recently for, for student-athletes. Right. So we touched on this a bit earlier, but I'd love to go a bit in the weeds on it. So, Zach, what is the current landscape in terms of student-athletes' ability to get sponsorships, ability to pursue endorsement deals? What's it look like now, and do you think it's going to change in the near future? Right now, it is wide open. So a student athlete can benefit from their name, image, and likeness, which which essentially means they can go out and get a sponsorship deal. There are other things as well they can do, such as coaching, appearances, etc. But the vast majority of the the income that's likely to come from this is probably going to be through sponsorship deals. So currently, an NCA athlete can enter into a contract within a brand to use their name, image, and likeness and be paid for it. And that's amazing. It was not the case a month ago. How that shakes out, I'm I'm very excited to see. I think different athletes at different schools and different sports will have different opportunities in much the same way that different athletes in different sports in different locations professionally have different opportunities. So it's going to be different for everyone. I think it will, the status quo will persist over time. You know, one thing that that is still not permitted is being paid based on a certain result. So so you can't say, you know, I'm going to pay you to endorse me if you score 10 touchdowns. You know, you, you can wait to see how someone does and then say, I would like you to endorse me, but it can't be tied to future performance. It can't be tied to, you know, thing, things that are sort of in the pay to play mode. But, and, and similarly, a school at this point is not able to pay a student athlete as if they're an employee, but the student athlete can go to a third party and be paid for their endorsement. So I imagine the endorsement name, image, and likeness portion staying how it is. And it's too hard to tell whether schools will ultimately view their student-athletes as employees. There, there are times when you might say that sounds more accurate, and there are times when you might say that does not sound accurate. So that question is a harder one. It's outside the purview of student-player, but... The, the name, image, and likeness endorsement piece is here to stay. I just can't imagine going back in time on that one. I think women's basketball is in a weird middle because we're, we're not a non-revenue sport or like Olympic sport, like um, soccer and field hockey. We're treated very similar to men's basketball, but we don't have, you know, the donors at all our games who may be interested in taking a group of guys out to dinner and supporting them financially. Like, I mean, we still have, you know, support, but I I kind of was talking to an administrator from my school and she brought up the point, yeah, now instead of a local brand, you know, partnering with the team to get their logo on over face or something like that, 
now the brand can go to their favorite star and he can bring the whole team out and they're going to post it on their social media. So it's, it's really just going to shake everything up. Um, I don't think there's going to be a significant a more amount of money involved now. It's just going to go straight to the players, which is good for a star football or basketball player, but it might hurt the field hockey player sitting on the bench and was kind of able to have Under Armour clothes and um, the same food as the football players and basketball players um, that is now going to this private dinner that a donor and brand is sponsoring. So I worry about the equity, I guess, but it's really... I don't think it's going to be that drastic. Um, the changes, you know, the university still has their systems. It's not like everyone's going to all of a sudden say, oh, I don't want to support Northwestern anymore. So we'll see. I uh, already did the coaching in college. I just had to go through all the forms and then fax them to or scan them to the compliance office, which was a pain in the butt, but like pretty easy. And I really don't know what that did or who it went to because it was kind of pointless. I would just send in a response, you know, and they probably wouldn't notice if I never sent those. So it's, it's interesting seeing how this will play out. You know, personally with my brand, I kind of want to start, if I really want to expand my business, I can say, oh, okay, I'll do the administration support and marketing and the t-shirts for this teammate of mine where I go to your hometown, get 50 girls in their area. And yeah, so now I'm going to make 50-50 with my teammate because I can profit off of her name and likeness and she can use my brand. So looking at it from my side of things, like it's great, but student athlete, we'll see. Right. Like the, the gender equity conversation about college sports has been a longstanding issue, right? That's nothing mm-hmm. new. Even when you think there should be progress Abby, I'm sure you have thoughts about like the NCAA tournament this past spring and the blatant inequities in terms of, of access to locker rooms and weight rooms and things like that. You know, it's, I can't imagine this is an issue that's going to be solved anytime soon, but I'm really curious, you know, how this newfound world of financial opportunities for student athletes might affect these inequities. Sure. Yes. I think as a starting point, what's going to happen is historically, if you wanted to help your college win, get the best players, do well in a given sport, your only real avenue of doing that would be by donating to the athletic department. And I think many of us have seen the videos of certain locker rooms, you know, where there, there are tens of millions of dollars. It looks like a professional facility, et cetera. The coach is a celebrity. And that stems from the fact that that's the school's best method to attract the players they're trying to attract is a fancy locker room, because that was essentially all that was permitted. So now this is going to shift. And to give you an idea you know, the average of the top 50 athletic schools in terms of alumni contributions in 2018, I saw a stat that on average, they receive about $30 million annually. So that's a lot of money with nowhere to go but fancy locker rooms and and high-priced coaches. Now, those donors and brands, et cetera, can say, I want to funnel this money in the form of a player endorsement and just taking, I will get to the gender equity, I promise, but 
giving, you know, what, what student player does is allow every fan to make a difference, whether they're donating $1, $100, or a million dollars, because it all gets funneled into one account that a prospective athlete can see before they choose where they go to college. And then if they go to college at a certain school and the coach plays them, they know that there's a sponsorship opportunity waiting for them in the amount that was the the total of all the contributions. And I think that is going to have much more power than a fancy locker room. You know, if, if a prospective quarterback or point guard knows that if they go to Duke over Michigan or Northwestern over Brown, they are going to receive X dollars, which is two times their other alternative. That's going to be of interest to them financially. Where this gets to the gender equity and equality is, I think, positive in that schools will now not have this big general fund that gets allocated in a way that's opaque and unclear, but people will still support the schools and donate to the athletic departments. And it will be the school's responsibility to say, our values are equal opportunity for men and women, and thus we're going to provide the same opportunity to access the weight room, the same type of facilities, etc. Or they won't, and that would be unfortunate. But Whereas in the past, they had this cover of saying, well, the donations to Ohio State were primarily related to the men's basketball team, so it's important that we allocate a greater percentage of the contributions to the men's basketball team's facilities. That will no longer be the case. So contributions to schools will be to help the student body and the student athletes as a whole And it will force the schools to show their values and say, you know, we're either doing this equally or we're not and prioritize sports as they see fit for their individual communities, which I think is very exciting. Yeah, super interesting. So, Abby, I want to turn it over to you. What do you think needs to happen to achieve genuine gender parity in college sports? I don't think this name and likeness is going to help it at all, like, to be honest, like Zach said, it's if more of the money is coming directly from the brands and donors to the athletes, it's unfortunate, but they're probably going to pick you know the male guy who a lot of most of their peer alumni peers know of, and you know everyone follows those games more. So it it's more it, a deep rooted issue, and like Title IX has done a incredible job of bringing it to a pretty good place. And I think this name and like this is going to shake it up because now there's smaller people making these micro decisions rather than the blanket institutions knowing in the compliance office, um, having control over everything and the budgets and making sure it's allocated properly. So I think it comes back to the media coverage support. Like you mentioned the locker rooms, NCAA, I was not outraged by any means. It was like not surprising to me, but I'm really glad that it was covered and it was picked up so people were outraged. But it needs to be more things in women's sports celebrated, not like a a wow once occurrence like that. So I don't have an answer. It's going to be interesting. Something I want to bring up, I think I mentioned this earlier, is kind of 
the strange situation of female athletes and alter egos. Um, when we're on a court, we're just an athlete. Most of the time, we're not thinking about our appearance. However, like when you go out, you know, there are these expectations for female ath- females to present themselves differently. That's really not doesn't make sense when I'm on a basketball court, I'm sweating buckets. <laughs> like it's not going to be the same person I'm posting on Instagram. So I think you're going to see like a sharp contrast between who's actually performing and um, the big personalities maybe that are drawing attention or people are throwing money at versus well, what I'm trying to say is the really pretty person with a bunch of followers on Instagram versus the athlete who's actually leading and rebounding and the strongest worker and biggest component of the team. Like, who's going to get that deal? Probably the pretty girl sitting on the bench. I don't know um, if it's purely Instagram shallow things versus people have each understanding of the game and the value that they're bringing to their team and their institution and sport. I'm very lucky I was surrounded by a lot of good human beings on my team. And I was never, oh my God, look what she posted. Um, I like, there was a genuine trust and respect and none of us were really ever like posting outrageous stuff in the season to get attention because we were so so focused on each other and our team goals. I look at some other teams that were around me and I like don't see that. I don't see the whole team hanging out with each other. Um, I see some girls like posting stuff and getting a lot of attention for it and invites to maybe like a club event and the whole team not going because they're not invited. So I think that with these increased opportunities, oh, she's cool. She's a barstool athlete, like whatever. Um, like it's to me like pretty stupid, but if people want to take the time to build their brand, they can. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. If you're going to school like Northwestern and you're an athlete who really cares about school, you really don't have time to be an influencer. So you're, you just have to go straight from practice to class to another practice to your study hall. You can vlog and say, oh yeah, I'm walking into study hall now, but like, why would anyone do that? That's not interesting. So I heard a story, another podcast actually about a D1, I think, Power 5 soccer player going to D3 school so he could spend more time making videos and his TikToks because he was passionate about that. Um, so I think those are like the decisions athletes are going to have to make now. Um, no, whatever, I'll, I'll get a C instead of an A because I want to gain my following. Interesting. So there's a bit of a segue here I want to take, but I, I think it transitions okay, which is I, I want to talk about mental health in sports and get both of your perspectives on this. I mean, you know, from my perspective, mental health is a conversation that crops up on occasion in sports. I've seen it a lot recently in conversations partially spurred on by individuals like Naomi Osaka and, you know, the flashpoints, I guess, where mental health really can affect somebody's athletic career. So in the context of money or just the general college athlete experience, what are your perspectives in terms of is mental health an undercovered topic or challenge for college athletes or are the support systems there for folks? Abby, we can start with you. Yeah, I actually um, wrote a story with my experience about my experience um, that was published in like September or something, but I really wasn't comfortable sharing a lot until I was not attending Northwestern anymore they are very sensitive topics. Um, my teammates suicide when I was a sophomore. I, mean, I was a freshman. She was a sophomore. Kind of my own panic attack. 
uh, my own identity crisis when I wasn't playing, I wasn't starting. And it's, it's not easy to come out and be vulnerable and tell your teammates and coaches what you're going through. Cause when you have sprints ahead of you for the day, why do you want to talk about, Oh, I'm not feeling too good. You just kind of ignore it and get through it. And then we were lucky. We had a, um, two sports psychologists that were within the school. And then by my senior year, they actually had offices and times in the student athletic complex. So, because they knew the unique pressures that we were going through and really needed the support system. So there are definitely advances being made. I mean, May is mental health awareness month. And there are a lot of initiatives at Northwestern, um, the green bandana project, which is you get certified in question, persuade and respond. So if, you're taught the signs to know if, you know, a friend or a teammate is going through something and how to question them, what they're going through, persuade them to maybe see someone and um, respond by taking more action. So there are a lot of initiatives in place to kind of normalize and destigmatize it. But I know there's still a long way to go. I mean, I came out with the story, but I still am not comfortable like talking about it day to day. And I got texts and, you know, comments like, oh, wow, this is so important. However, I really don't feel like I'm talking about it more day to day because everyone's just on their grind and you just do it. You don't talk about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, let me just say, I appreciate you talking about it here. And I, I think it's a good thing for you and other college athletes to be vocal about and being open about talking about mental health struggles, because, you know, I, I think the more people that hear that it can really connect with. Yes. I think, you know, as a general principle, the more someone is in the spotlight, the more likely there are to be associated mental health issues that come with it whether that's in athletics or not. The challenge for college athletes is that they are much more in the spotlight now than they used to be or at any other time in history. You know, And that's a function of a number of things. Financial considerations may now be one of them, but it, it's probably, if, you know, it's probably much more the social media component than the prospect of being paid that I think will contribute to that. To the extent we can, you know, I, I'm excited for student player in that the endorsements that we are going to offer come with very minor responsibilities. It will be a few short social media posts that can be done from your phone, in your room, quick, because fans are not contributing with the primary goal of seeing a long commercial spot or making a student athlete at the school that they love travel across the country meet with an agent, et cetera. They just want to see that person play at their school and be compensated. So we're doing this in a way that gives the student athletes both compensation and free time to focus on their studies and the sport that they love. So I hope that in at least some minor way that reduces some of the stress and mental issues that might come with feeling pressure to constantly be building your brand if you know that merely playing and completing the endorsement from your phone in your dorm room are sufficient to unlock the funds that student players holding in escrow. Sure. Yeah. I'm really curious how that world will develop and how student athletes will adapt. So before we get to the final question, I'd love to just check in with you both on, you know, what you're most excited about what you're doing now. So Abby, you started this organization, Wildworks, right? Yes. 
Tell me about that. Well, uh, going back to kind of the challenges of being a female basketball player, I had April to August without income because my team pays me for the months I'm playing in Europe and I didn't make it the WNBA. So I could either get an internship or job or I could start my own business with my most marketable skill, which is basketball. And so I kind of hopped around. I was a nomad this summer. Uh, My dad lives in Florida and I held my first clinic there. Luckily, my uncle ran a basketball league. So I had 12 girls and myself for a week, which was fun. Tested a lot of stuff out, got some great feedback. So I was excited about continuing it. My mom lives in Mexico and obviously I'm not going to profit off of Mexican children who have a lot less than where I grew up in Connecticut. So I approached the local team and ran a few practices for them. And that was incredible. And the third part of this nomad summer, I was back in Connecticut where I went to high school. And um, that was where the brand was created around. So I held a bigger camp of 25 campers and two counselors, one of who I think was interviewed the other day, Adona Thacky. And so that was really fun. Now I'm in Chicago, not doing wild works because it's a lot of work <laughs> being a coach after my own training sessions and I'm exhausted. Do I want to yell and empower children? Not So not quite yet. So Chicago, not, not doing anything. Um, but yeah, I think the bigger point is kind of what, you have to do to make ends meet as a women's basketball player. And just my obligation, or not an obligation, my desire to share what I've learned. I'm dedicating myself to the game for the past 16 years um, and kind of giving these kids a cheat sheet to the drills and the mindsets that um, helped me. So every you know, clinic, I have a panel where I sit down and ask the counselors and share a story with the girls that helped me. That's incredible. Yeah. And I, I love that you're doing like pro bono work for it too in Mexico. And that's, that's just amazing. Thank you. Yeah. It's been fun. So Zach, walk us through the next steps for your company. What does the future look like? Do you think? The, the future is just getting the word out now that it's happened. You know, the, the, the regulations and the laws are in place. And what excites me the most is that this provides a mechanism to level the playing field and, as we say, democratize the process where every fan's voice can count. You know, when when California passed their law, my worry was that once Oregon got there, that Phil Knight would just put in a call to someone at Nike and say, all right, we're going to offer every athlete here you know, a few million dollars in sponsorship dollars, and then we're going to win. Everyone else will be fighting for second place. And that was my fear that, you know, we were essentially going to enter a system where brands, wealthy donors, boosters who are willing to pay the most would get the best players. And that would be that. But through the creation of a centralized platform, you know, the, the, small voices of many can outshine, you know, just a a one loud one. So that's what I'm really excited for. It's hard to predict exactly how things will shake up. The next steps for us are, you know, continuing to get the word out. It's a bit of a complicated process. So doing that in an effective way that's easy to understand is some of our biggest challenges. But 
I'm just excited to see which which schools and teams have the most loyal and rabid fan bases and are, are willing to step up and really show the players that that they appreciate the hard work that they put on on the court or the field or, or whatever the playing surface is. Sure. Yeah. I'm also very intrigued how it's all going to develop for sure. So, okay, we're going to close out here. It's kind of final thoughts time. So I, I'd love to hear from both of you about like any any thoughts you've been itching to share that we haven't gotten to. I'd love to hear your take on resources specifically for college athletes, but athletes in general, if you'd like, that athletes should be aware of, what kinds of things they should be thinking through, especially in terms of managing finances, their life around finances, those decisions that happen and are you're forced to take sometimes as a college athlete. So what are, yeah, what are your final thoughts? What's your reaction to this changing world? Zach, we'll, we'll start with you on that. Sure. I think, you know, my, my parting advice would be that the time you have in college is limited and special, and you're a part of a team as well as a large institution that has many other things to offer. So the changing rules will not change the fact that you are a part of a institution that has lots of great resources, regardless of which one. And my advice would be to take advantage of it. You know, you don't have the opportunity to just walk into a professor's door and say, I'd like to chat after college. So keep your options open, think about all kinds of different things, and make sure you you use the time you have in the way that's going to provide you with the most fulfillment, in, including focusing on the sport that you love. Yeah, to piggyback off that, I had the pleasure of sharing dinner with a Northwestern donor after I graduated and um, with a few other teammates. And um, she just, we were talking about it. Oh, you could do, you could make that, send that email. I'd be so grateful. She's like, of course, you just have to let me know and ask, you know, like you, the, the, these people, like Zach said, can't read your mind and what your goals and what you want. Um, and you really don't know what you want until you explore. So I would say, you know, tap your resources, your network, don't focus on the social media and necessarily at least for me, I, I'd never focused on the likes and the popularity, like the intimate relationships and even community building. Um, you could even, if you do want to capitalize on this name and likeness thing, go knock on the donor's door and they probably have kids or um, that, who want to be coached and they don't even know. They Again, they can't read your mind that you're willing to do that and um, make some extra money on the weekends on an off day. So I would say... Take that step, send that email, get out there, and because no one can read your mind. So college athletic programs should, we have, Northwestern unfortunately has a career development called NU for Life where they connect us to donors and things. That should be a lot more prevalent at other universities. They really took the initiative of one guy, David Kabiller, and um, to support that. My brother played football at Duke. Surprisingly, Duke University does not have a career development system for student-athletes. I don't know if, like, Stanford has one. I should ask my friend if it's as organized as Northwestern. You know, you're not going to make a career, uh, you know, a few will, out of being an influencer. Um, you will make a career out of, you know, educating yourself on the possibilities. So that should be addressed. And also along with the career development there should be some type of, everyone always says, you know, 
in high school, you don't learn how to pay your taxes and pay health insurance. I had social security in Spain. And when I came back here, I was not on my dad's anymore. And I had to figure it all out. Um, it was the end of the month. And imagine being a 23 year old trying to figure out the U.S. health system. That was just, just a disaster. Um, so I think, you know, people need to educate themselves when they're coming out of college, like what it means to be um, an individual, like on your own, um, which is a lot of things. But I just mainly wanted to say like the health system thing and um, support and education for athletes is more important than educating yourself on how you can be an influencer. I love that. For college athletes who are listening, I hope you heard every word of that. For people that know college athletes or want to help those in your life who are thinking of pursuing that route, I hope this unlocks some ideas on how you can help those people you care about. I mean, and you're talking about schools like Northwestern, Duke, Stanford. I mean, these are some great schools. So imagine all the other schools out there where, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's across the board in terms of how high of quality, I guess, their career development programs are, their life skills, financial literacy skills development programs may be. So I guess, you know, for, for college athletes and prospective college athletes, like that's something to really think about and, and look for in the program of your choice and to push the schools that you're at to be thinking about that stuff too. Absolutely. I mean, I brought up Duke because you would expect them to have something like that for recruits. There's nothing wrong with going back to your hometown and becoming a personal trainer. However, it's shameful for universities to take advantage of student athletes and um, their na their names and their bodies for four years. Not only are they not compensated, but their schedules are packed for the whole day so that they can't even understand the opportunities that the rest of the university has to offer. Because if they want, you know, if they have 6 a.m. workouts, what are they going to do after their 8 p.m. study hall? Go home and right. go to sleep. Um, they're not going to go explore the entrepreneurship center on campus. They're not going to go into a nearby city and do some networking and shadowing. So it's really a disservice um, to the student-athletes. And this is something that a lot of normal people can't understand. They call you NARPs, by the way, non-athletic regular <laughs> people. <laughs> I have no idea. And I love, I love that. I now know that. Um, so yes, everyone agrees they should be paid. Um, however, like what are other needs that athletes are not being met? Like, I think the career and um, development is the most important one. I love that. I, I think that's an, a very important message to end on. Well, both of you, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming on and sharing your stories and perspectives and all this. It has been such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. As always, thanks listeners for settling in and listening with Nolan as we started the conversation on athletes, university, NIL, and the candid university reality and experience for athletes. Next week, we will continue our conversation on sports and the new era of wellness. As you listened, we hope you are catching some Tokyo Olympic moments and watching the world of athletics grow and evolve right before your eyes as you listen in with us on this new era. We'll chat soon and happy money making. You've been listening in with Your World, Your Money. You can find us at ywympodcast.com and stay updated on Instagram at Global Thinking Foundation USA. 
Be sure to rate and review us. And you can reach us with questions or thoughts at hi at ywympodcast.com. Our thanks again to Hangar Studios and Global Thinking Foundation. Thanks, friends. Happy money making. We'll see you next time.